Good morning. Glad to be back in the house of the Lord this week with everybody. Let's stand together and uh, worship the Lord this morning in song. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed sinks then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art and when i think that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my Savior God to how great thou art, how great thou art. And then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow In humble adoration And there proclaim My God how great Thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art How great Thou art then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou Lord, I come and I confess And bowing here I find my rest And without you I fall apart And you're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you And Lord, I need Oh, I need you every 
Temptations come my way, and when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Sing the chorus one more time. And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. My one defense, you're my one defense. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. This morning, we were, I just wanted to read a, a scripture um, in Isaiah of assurance of what Christ has done for us. And if we look in Isaiah chapter 53, it's up on the screen. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So we know that our God has done way more for us than we deserve. We know that he took on the weight, and he took on the pain and the sin that we carried and that we deserved, and he took it so that we could have peace and so that we could have comfort. And so I'm just thankful for that this morning, and I know that y'all are too. So let's sing a hymn of thanksgiving um, about how we are so thankful that we have a God that has done this for us. So we're going to sing, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing this morning. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest of God's redeeming 
Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hold by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at his precious blood. And oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. And let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to the fount of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy grace in streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Let us pray. God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for this time of worship. God, we thank you for this time of offering we're about to take. Father, I just pray that whatever we give this morning would go to, to worship you and to, to further your kingdom, Father. And I pray, Lord, that we would open our ears and our hearts to hear your word this morning. Father, forgive us for our sins and forgive us where we fail you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. everybody. I hope you've had a fantastic time of worship so far. I um, heard a lot of people singing some good songs this morning. It um, brings great joy in me to hear the God's people sing together and glorify Him together and just praise Him for who He is. But I do want to say one thing that's kind of backwards and different than that is um, I think if we just put two more people in those back two pews right here, I think they may fall in. Uh, there's more pews up if y'all want to move up next time. Um, don't feel like you have to, but y'all just scrunched in there nice and good. Um, I guess you love one big family, right? That's, 
Uh, everybody loves one another here. That's a good thing, right? But this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to begin a journey through the book of John. Um, and the book of John, if you, uh, if you know, it's quite a large book. Uh, so the book of John is going to take us quite a while. Um, I would tell you how long, but it might scare you. So I'm not going to say that. But I will say that uh, we do plan on uh, taking breaks uh, at different times throughout the year. Like we'll probably uh, preach through Psalms during the summer. Take a break around Easter. Take a break at Advent season. And just throughout the year uh, when we feel like it's necessary uh, because we're not on uh, our schedule but we're on God. So we understand that the Spirit can move and we may have to change the sermon one week. But ultimately our goal is to preach through the book of John in the next few years. Uh, And I'm excited about it. Um, Yes, few years. Um, And I'm not going to say how many years. Uh, And I'm excited about it though because uh, not that all scripture is inspired by God and is worthy for our preaching and teaching and reading. Um, but there's something about reading the teaching of Christ. And so really in going to enjoy reading and teaching through this this while. So this morning, though, just to give us a little understanding of John, and then we're going to get into the, the scripture itself. Uh, John, the letter of John, if you could just guess who the letter of John was written by, it was by John. And John, the son of Zebediah, most likely, um, because he doesn't sign his name to it, but just historically, that's the one that makes sense. And John, the son of Zebediah, for those that don't remember, he is one of the disciples. Um, and not only is he one of the disciples, but um, you may or may not know this, but Jesus also had an inner circle with the disciples, about three of them. And John was one of those three. Um, think about the, the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he takes them all to the garden, and when he prays, he takes some of them at one point, he takes three of them farther. And he encourages them to pray along with him. And each time he comes back, they fall asleep on him, right? And so that was John. John was one of those. Uh, but John is also known and throughout Scripture as the one whom Christ loved. I'm not exactly uh, sure of that. He's just one of the closest disciples that Jesus had. And so John writes this letter. And what's so important about that is that when John writes this letter, he's writing it with eyewitness accounts, that he saw it himself. He is declaring what happened. Now, it's not complete, completely chronological but it is the the happenings in the the life of christ as john portrayed them and john was at most events that happened Um, that's why it's important to know that he is one of the inner circles because he was at most of the things Uh, john is writing to a greco-roman world that may not mean mean anything to you but roman government think about that Um, we've all seen movies about roman government the harshness of it the difficulty of it you also hear about paul before he came to Christ, he was Saul. He was killing Christians for what? For Rome, right? So he's writing to this Greco-Roman world, uh, to a bunch of Jews and Gentiles, to God's chosen people at the time, as well as the Gentiles, those that were not. So he's, he's a mixed company, and so you're going to see different things in that. But ultimately, when you read the book of John, you see it broke down in about two sections, uh, chapter 2 to chapter 11, and it's talking about Jesus' ministry on this earth. Uh, And then you're going to see about seven signs in which Jesus performed. And then in chapter 12 to chapter 21, we're going to see Jesus' teaching to the disciples. And so it's just a beautiful way that John lays out this. Um, But John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, kind of tell us why John writes this book. And I'm going to read it to you right now. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples 
which are not written in this book, saying that Jesus did things that John did not write about. But verse 31, he says this, um, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is, Christ, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That John is writing this letter so that those, can, those who do not know Christ can come to know Christ and then be encouraged by his teaching. And what better purpose and what better reason to preach through this uh, book today is so that if we have people that come to the church that don't know Christ, they can come to Christ hopefully uh, and prayfully, but also so that we can be encouraged by the life of Christ. This morning, we're going to be, be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And I just wanted to sum up the sermon in two sentences for you. The Word was with God and was, was, the Word was with God and was God. And through Him is creation, life, and light. Then in the fullness of time, the Word became flesh and dwelt among men to be the instrument of God's grace to humanity. Thus, in Christ, humanity is reconciled to the Father. And then Charles Spurgeon, he was a pe uh, preacher uh, a few hundred years ago. He wrote this about John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and said this, We cannot describe the deity of Christ in a clearer language than John uses. He was with God. He was God. He did the work of God, for he is the creator. This morning we're going to be talking about a magnificent and holy God that came and dwelt among men. So if you would, at this time, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. If you would, let's stand and read it together. This says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he whom I said he was comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, was made, uh, he has made him made, made known. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for scripture. We thank you for this verse, God. We thank you for the fact that it's declaring who Christ is and what Christ has done. And God, because of that, we can all stand here this morning and glorify and praise you and have a hope that will last for eternity. This morning, I pray as we preach your word, God, you hide me behind your words and your words alone, that everything that I say and do may be to your will and your will alone. And God, I pray that you be with us as we receive your word. 
God, that you teach us, develop us, mold us, make us who we need to be by hearing your word being preached. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen. So when we read through this, we see some things going on. And we've got 18 verses, uh, but I'm going to try to do it fairly quickly. Um, but first and foremost, I want to point out that John's account and the John's beginning is a little different and a little more unique than the other disciples. Uh, the other uh, epistles. Because when we read uh, Matthew and Luke, we see that they begin with a genealogy and then they talk about the birth of Christ. And then in Mark, when you get to the, 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 the book of Mark, it starts with his earthly ministry. But John, he does something much more amazing, in my personal opinion, is that he begins at the beginning of time. He starts from before anything was created and he points out how Christ has always been. And so when we look at this, I'm going to read verses, uh, parts of verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was nothing, anything made that was made. We see first and foremost, he says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, we're going to find out, and if you don't already know, the word, when he's talking about the word here, this is a Greek word called logos, which is really unimportant right now. But that word logos, it means uh, intellect. It means the word. It means uh, this all-knowing. And this is who Christ is. And we're going to see throughout these verses is that the word, when he's talking about the word here, he's talking about Jesus. So he's referencing Christ when he says, in the beginning was the word. Because when you get to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. We know that is Christ. So in the beginning was the Word. This is Christ. That Christ was from the beginning. He, and think about what the beginning is. It's the beginning of everything. Before creation, before any of that, Christ was. Then he goes on and he says, And the Word was with God. That Christ was with God in the beginning. That he is in perfect unity with the Father from the beginning. But why is that? He says the Word was with God, but then he goes on and says the Word was God. That Christ is God himself in human form, right? That God incarnated, as we see on the slide here, stepped out of heaven, as we're going to read in verse 14, and became Jesus Christ as we know him. That is God the Son. And God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit lived in perfect unity before anything was created. Perfect unity before that. that. It's important to understand that our God, our Father, our, our holy being has always existed. He's eternal. He has always be- existed. He has always been and he will always be. That's going to be important to us later on and I'll explain why. But what we see is that Christ has been from the beginning, even to the point that he says in this scripture, he says all things were created through him. And when you read Genesis 1 and you read the, the, the creation account, we see that God created everything by speaking, right? And right here we see that, that, that Jesus is called the Word of God. So in the beginning, God created everything through Christ Jesus. And what's so beautiful about that is that Christ was the instrument in which God created everything. And then billions and thousands of years later, we see that He became the One. That would be the instrument of God's mercy and love and forgiveness. This is who Christ is. He has always been. He's been from the beginning. So when we look at these five verses, we see that, that Christ is the Word. And that He was always existed in the unity with the Father because He is God the Son. This right here, these 18 verses is so important to the Christian faith. 
Because what we see in all of this is who Christ really is. Christ is our God. Christ is God the Son. Christ is not a prophet. He's not a mere man. He is not any of those. If he was, we would be just like every other religion out there. But we worship a holy God that lived on this life, that died on this life. But the grave could not hold him, so he rose again and he conquered it all. And this is our Lord and Savior, and he has always been. Then verses 6 through 8 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. And when you read this, when you read verses 1 through 5, and then you get to verse 6 through 8, you kind of feel like they're, they're just changing paces on you, right? The first five verses is talking about the mightiness and the holiness in the eternal aspect of who Christ is. And then we get to verse 8, and we hear about this man named John. And he seems like he's changing the subject a little bit, but he's not. Because what was going on in this day and time is that there was people that believed that John the Baptist was the Messiah. And so you got to think about how they were writing this letter to their audience, to those in their time. This made perfect sense because there was people that believed John the Baptist was the Messiah and that he came into the world to save the world. And what John is doing here is he's correcting that idea. He's saying John the Baptist was a man that came and he prepared the way. He wasn't the light, but he's the one that prepared the way for the light. That he wasn't the Messiah, but that he was preparing the way. And that's what we see in John the Baptist. And his, when you read the accounts of him, we see that he was preaching, today is the day of repentance, right? Today is the day of salvation. He was preparing the way for a Savior. He became the witness. We see what's so amazing about John the Baptist to me in my account, in my personal opinion of reading God's word, and I feel like it is true today, is John the Baptist was the last prophet we see declaring of God coming. He was the last prophet that would declare the hope of humanity. And then after Christ came, he lived, he died, and after he died and went back to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit down to us so that we could have God living within us. So now we are no longer in a need of a prophet, but we are in need of a Savior. So what we see here is that John the Baptist was not the Messiah, but he was the one that would pave the way for Christ to come. In verses 9 through 11, this is something we talk heavily about in December. And this is something we talked a lot about this year. It says this, that the true light was given light to everyone who has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is something we talk about so often when we talk about the birth of Christ. Because when we, when we paint this picture, we, we talk about how they get to Bethlehem, right? That when they get to Bethlehem, the world did not receive him because they had to have the child in the stable behind the inn, right? We talk about how the world didn't receive him. But it goes a little deeper than that because what we know about Christ is that he was led to the slaughter, right? Because they did not receive him. And what's so bad about this is that John explains once again, he said the world was made through him. That Christ made the entire world, and then when he finds himself in the world, the world did not receive him. The world did not accept him. But it goes even deeper than that, and even worse than that, it says that his own people did not even receive him. And what's so bad about that is that when you read the Old Testament, you see promise after promise and covenant after covenant of God saying a Messiah is coming. Even the scripture that Troy read this morning in Isaiah 53, that was talking about the Savior coming back in Isaiah. He's promising the coming of a Savior. And when the Savior came, 
the Jews did not receive him. To make it even worse, the Jews killed him, right? They were the ones that made the charge for his death and burial. So we see that we have an unrecognized Christ as well. But the beauty of it all is found in verses 12 and 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We see what's so amazing to me is that God didn't stop there. Even though the world didn't receive him, even though the, his people didn't receive him, we do see that some do receive him, right? That when they do receive him, what happens is that through Christ Jesus, they have the right to become a child of God's. They have the right to become a child of his. What does that mean? That means an inheritance of God, right? That means he inherits what God has for his children. And our inheritance is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That now we can be called his children and inherit the things in which he has for us. And that is salvation in Christ. And because of that, now we have an eternity in heaven with God the Father forever and ever and evermore. But what's so amazing to me is this is not of the blood nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. This wasn't accomplished by animal sacrifice. This isn't accomplished by the will of man. This isn't accomplished by our works, our deeds, our merits, or our desires. None of, that, none of that accomplishes our salvation. It says, but what does is but of God. The will of God was to send Christ to be the sacrifice for humanity. And in Christ Jesus is our hope. Our hope is in nothing else, and it stands on nothing else but in Christ. And because of Him, now we have a hope of salvation and a joy of salvation that we can call upon His name, and when we do, we can be His, God's child. So we have a Savior, a Christ, that not only is He uh, eternal and was, had our forerunner to declare His coming, and not only was he not recognized, but he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is in control of all things. And our salvation is one of those. And he calls us and we respond accordingly to his will. And then verses 14 and 18. To me, I'm going to be honest with you, 14 is the most beautiful, beautiful scripture in all of the Bible, in my opinion. Because what we see is this. And I'm just going to read 14 for you. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of the grace and truth. That we not only see in, Gen in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 2, is that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. That Christ is God himself, God the son. And, and what we see in 14 is the manifestation of God's will, love, and desire was that when the word became flesh. That Christ stepped out of heaven, a perfect and holy being, all-knowing, all-powerful, all in a perfect unity with God the Father and the God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They're all in perfect unity. And God the Son stepped out of that, stepped into heaven. And when He did so, He took on the flesh of humanity. And not only did He take on the flesh of humanity, but He lived the lives that we live. And Hebrews tell us that we have a high priest that knows what we're going through, Right? And this is because our God did not stay in heaven, but He stepped out of heaven to provide something for us, and that is salvation. Because of this scripture right here, we see that we have a God that loves us beyond all understanding. 
we have a God who desires us with all under, above all understanding. And this, because of this, He will receive all glory, honor, and praise. But what's so beautiful about it, it says in um, verse 17, For from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. That in His fullness, it's talking about in the fullness of time, in the fullness of God, that in the time in which God desired, He sent His Son to die and to, to live and to die. And when He did this, what happened was grace upon grace. What does He mean by grace upon grace, though? He's talking about in, later on in that. It says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. See, in the Old Testament, we see in Exodus uh, chapter 20, we see that God gives the Ten Commandments, gives the law to Moses. And then there are even more after that, about 610 more to be exact. And he gives this law to Moses. And what this law's purpose was, one of the purposes of the law, and one of the outcomes of the law is that you realize how sinful and how wretched and how broken you are. That you cannot keep this. Think about the Ten Commandments alone. We can't keep the Ten Commandments alone, but take it a little farther and think about the 610 other laws where we couldn't never live up to this. And the per one purpose of the law was to show us that we needed somebody greater than ourselves to save us. That we could not do it on our own. We couldn't do it in our own power, in our own strength. That it had to happen through somebody else. And that person is Christ Jesus. The, sin, the law, as we read in multiple scriptures, 1 Corinthians and Romans and Galatians, we see that the law brought death, but Christ brought eternal life. Christ brought truth and hope, or as it says here, grace upon grace. And because of Christ, we can now call on the name of Jesus. Because of his death, we can call on his name and receive grace upon grace. This morning, as we get ready to come to a conclusion and after we're going to go into a time of communion and what a perfect time to do communion in my honest opinion is the first of the year and we're going to talk about the purposes of communion in a little bit but before that I want to look at this scripture and I want to pull out some application for us the first application is the same application you probably hear from me week after week after week after week because there's nothing more important than this is that in Christ Jesus our salvation is found in Him there is no other hope or no other peace or no other joy or no other salvation. That Christ and Christ alone is our hope of eternal life with God the Father. And other than through Him, we have no hope. So if you're here this morning as we look at these 18 verses, that's what it screams is that we have a perfect and holy and loving God that stepped out of heaven and became the sacrifice for humanity so that we could have salvation in Christ. And that's the only thing that will save us. So if you're here and you, you find yourself and you think that you're not saved or you don't know, I would encourage you to listen to the Spirit, listen to God, and then if you need to, talk with me. We can discuss it. But this is the most important thing in our lives is that for us to know that we are saved in Christ Jesus and that we're depending on Him and Him alone for our salvation. Not our own merits, not our own works, not anything we do. Then secondly... We can hold on to this salvation. We can hold on to this because this is a hope that is eternal. As I said earlier, John chapter 1 through verses 5, it says that um, it talks about how, he, how Christ is eternal, that He's been from the beginning. And what we see is that in His teaching, He says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Christ will always be and be cursed because He will always be our salvation is secure. 
Our salvation is not going anywhere. We will not get to heaven and in a billion years God will change His mind because we have an unchanging God that loves us unconditionally if we call upon the name of Christ. Thirdly, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. We need to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. For so many reasons. I can't cover every reason why we remind ourselves of the gospel on a regular basis. But simply it's because of this. When you remind yourself what God has done for you, you understand that your life is not yours. That you're living your life for somebody that is greater and holier and more powerful and more deserving. And that you live your life in such a way that will bring God glory, honor, and praise. Then also it's a very encouraging thing to remind yourself of the gospel. That we have a God that saves us, that redeems us, that forgives us. Because I don't know about you, but there's even times in my life today where I sin and I fall and I make mistakes. And when I remind myself of the mercy and the love of God, it reminds me that I can't sin willingly. But it also reminds me that I have a Father that I can call upon when I do mess up. Then fourth is that we need to share this gospel with those in our lives. We need to tell those around us about this Jesus because this Jesus is eternal. This Jesus has conquered it all. This Jesus has brought us salvation above all else. And this is our hope. This is our peace. This is our joy. And nothing else can we find any of those things but in Christ Jesus. We have to share this to the world around us because we have a world that is looking for something. Barna Group, I believe, it may have been Lifeway, it said this, and this is just to kind of encourage you to share the gospel a little bit, is that 78% of, of, un, uh, of people that do not claim to be believers say that they will have an open conversation with a friend about Christ if they were asked, that they would freely talk about it if they were asked. 78% of them said that. So the chances is that we'll have somebody that we can talk to that will receive it a little better than we're afraid they will. But this morning... We're about to go into a time of communion, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come in just a second. But what perfect time now, as we go into this new year, we see that that this is a new year, a new beginning for our church, right? Just like every year, everybody tries this, right? The new year, new me, new church, new new year, new church. We try these things every year. But in all reality, we're going to be the same as we were last year with maybe some minor modifications, But what I do want us to encourage us to do is let's remind ourselves regularly this year about what Christ has accomplished on the cross. And that is the main purpose of communion, is to be reminded and to reflect and hold on to the hope of what Christ has done for us on that day. And so I'm going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to move over there, and we're going to talk about communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for... All things, Father, but ultimately I want to thank you this morning for who Christ is, where our hope lies, where our joy lies, where our peace lies, because Christ is the eternal God, the one that has always been and always will be. And whenever you found it fit, Father, you send him to be to take the form of a, a child, to live a life, to die a death we deserved, to rise again where we couldn't, to conquer hell, death, and the grave. And now, because he has done it first, God, if we call upon your name, we can rise again. And we can be with you for eternity, Father. And I pray this morning that if there's any here that doesn't know you, God, that they come to know you. And God, for us that do know you, Father, I pray that you encourage us with your gospel, not only today, but every day, Father.
in such a way that God, we hold on to that hope of eternal life, but also that we take the hope of eternity to the world around us and we tell them about your son and what you accomplished on that day on the cross. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you in your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. So- in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground His body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of christ in me from life's first cry to final breath jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can ever block me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I